Good morning, Bay Life. How are we doing? It is great to see you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to Luke chapter 3. If you're visiting, hi, I'm Mark. Welcome to our church. Uh, there's lots of churches in town, lots of great churches. I like ours. Uh, so glad that you're here with us. And I'm looking forward to saying hi to you over in the corner uh, after we're done. If you're new, come up and say, say hi. A uh, couple things in your bulletins I just want to mention before we get going to Luke chapter 3 in this series that we're calling Jesus Is. It's a study of the person, the character, and the words of Christ uh, in the book of Luke. We're going to just enjoy that for the next couple weeks, couple months. Uh, but uh, real quick, in your bulletins, uh, the, the, you heard it in the video before. Stephen talked about it. We're having a prayer conference. Novice to Ninja. Everybody take that little flyer out of there. I just want to familiarize with this, let you know your pastor's heart behind it. We have uh, eight values that kind of govern us as a church. And uh, periodically throughout the year, we're going to take some special time aside and focus in on them. We're going to handle prayer this year through this prayer conference. It's a time of teaching and practice uh, on a Friday night and a Saturday and a couple weekends. Uh, we would love to have you join us. You can come by yourself. You can come as a family uh, and, and walk with your children through some of the classes. We've kind of set it up. You'll read about it there. You can read more about it online. We've set it up for an, as an experience for everybody. Uh, we have child care available. We'll have you know, some food available at both uh, of our sessions, Friday night and Saturday morning. If you would, please sign up at guest services, join us at this prayer conference, and let's uh, push the ball forward in this area. This is all important area. Anything that happens around here, I believe, happens as a result of answered prayer. God has blessed us as a church because we have brought our church and, uh, and his work through us to him and asked him to bless it. So uh, we want to continue to grow in this area of prayer. So whether you've uh, never prayed or you pray all the time, there's areas to grow in uh, this, this uh, specific area of, of, of our, our life and with Christ, and I hope you're going to join us for that. Who likes good news? Anybody like good news? I have some. Would you like to hear it? It, pertain, it pertains to our Rise Up campaign, and I just want to remind you, if you're, you're new to our church, we're trying to be uh, debt-free as a church. Everybody agree with that as a good idea? And so uh, we, we spent the last couple of years heading in that direction. Uh, we had three, uh, three and a half million dollars of debt when we started. And we said, that's not right. We want to be a church that's lean and mean and uh, working for Jesus Christ without debt. So we said, let's, let's figure out what we could do. We, we pledged about $2.95 million together uh, in a couple, months, uh, couple of marches ago. And, uh, and we have given uh, to the tune of about uh, $2.1 million of that. But, but in, in addition to that, we've been giving, we've been paying our mortgage. Is everybody a good thumbs up on us paying our mortgage? Everybody good on that? So uh, we've been putting every extra dollar that we can towards our debt. And for the first time, in, in my history here as a church, and, and maybe in a long time here at our church, we are now below the $1 million debt uh, margin. We are $950,000. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. Everybody who's been given throughout this, this, uh, this Rise Up campaign, appreciate it. Uh, here, here's, here's what, I, this is not like tap the brakes time. This is slam on the gas time. I want to be done. Who wants to be done? I want to be done. And so if we as a church, if you've already given to this and, and you pray with me, as, as Ellen and I pray, we'll figure out how God might continue to use us, uh, all of us, whether we've given yet or not, uh, to make this uh, dream a reality, uh, I pray that very soon I will stand on this stage and nuke a mortgage. That is my, my prayer goal. I just want to uh, obliterate it. So everybody with me on that? Yay, God. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for a chance to celebrate uh, what you have done in our midst. And as we go to your word now, uh, we want to hear from you, God. We know that every interaction uh, here at this church or any church where, where your word is open, you're speaking. And uh, you're, uh, uh, you're, you're giving us uh, the things that we need to incorporate in life so that we can live life for you. I pray that that happens in the next uh, 40 minutes or so, that we'd hear from you, not from me, but from you, and that you'd lead us to the life you hope for us to live. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Luke chapter 3 starts like this. And we're going to be talking about Jesus is mightier than I today. Luke chapter 3 starts like this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eturia, and Trachonitis. You do not want to get Trachonitis. That is a nasty, nasty thing. Uh, and Lysanias, uh, tetrarch of Abilene, up there in the panhandle of Texas, so he was involved too. Uh, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, uh, uh, there, was, there was only meant to be one high priest, but Annas liked his job so much that he just retained the title, and he, he essentially gave his title, high priest, to uh, four subsequent sons, and now he's on to Caiaphas at this time in history, uh, who is his son-in-law. He's kept it in the family. But, but uh, during the, the, the lifespan or, or during the reign of these seven men, it says the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah, if you were here during Christmas, we heard about him uh, as he was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Here's what I want you to focus on as we get going this morning. What came to John? Go back. You're anticipating. You wait for me. What came to John? The word of God. The word of God. The word of God is the great starter of all things. Don't believe me? Read your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1. It says, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Uh, everything was null and void. The Holy Spirit was kind of uh, floating over this, this darkness. And then it says in verse 3 uh, that God said, God spoke. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And, and there, there, is, there is this starting power in the word of God. Everything that has begun has begun at the bid, bidding of, of God's word. Here in the, in the story of Jesus and in his ministry years, it gets started by the word of God coming to John, who's going to be the forerunner, the foreteller of Christ's arrival. God speaks and things begin. Now, in our day and age, uh, God speaks uh, to, to people just like you and me. The word of God still comes to people like you and me. Everybody agree with that? Now, we might not get burning bushes. We might not get angels singing in choirs in the sky. But God still speaks to us. In a, in a variety of ways. I'm amazed at, at, at how much technology has enhanced our communication abilities just in our world. I can be reached by email, texting. You can Facebook me. Don't do that, though. I only go on once a month. Uh, uh, you can phone me at, at church, my house, on my cell phone. I mean, there's all these myriad of ways. You can run into me in traffic. I mean, I was driving in traffic yesterday, and Titus and Renee P. pulled up next to me. and That was great. So you can, there's all kinds of ways you can, you can communicate in our day and age. <clears throat> but but there's, there's all kinds of ways that God communicates us with us and, and has for every age. Uh, he speaks to us uh, through his, his written word. And I pray that's what's happening this morning. As we open it together, God communicates with you his intents for your life, and you hear them and respond to them. Uh, he communicates to us through our circumstances. Uh, in, in the past week, I've heard of, of these circumstances that have arisen in the lives of people that I know and love. You know, pregnancies that are, are trepidatious, but we're trusting God for those things. Uh, uh, new homes, you know, coming, uh, you know, on, on the scene and, and how we're going to pay for those things. That's kind of Eleanor's in mind. Uh, but, but there's all these things that are coming up, and God speaks through those circumstances. God can speak through his people. Have you ever talked to another Christian and they said, hey, have you thought about this? And you're like, no, I haven't. And, but that's what God wanted you to consider in life, and, 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 and he used someone else to kind of get you the message. Is everybody with me on that? God speaks to us. All the time. He's all, God doesn't take breaks. He's always at work, always executing his plan. His desire is to head things in the direction that, that he has determined. And he's constantly communicating with humankind 
uh, on, on those plans that he has for them. Whether we listen or not, that's another question, but we'll get to that. The word of God still comes to people like you and me. Now, when he speaks, he speaks with purpose. He's not, who's got that friend who just can't get to the point? Anybody got that friend? Don't point at them if they're near you. But, uh, but some people just take a long time to get to the point. My son Cooper is not one of those people. I love phone conversations with Cooper. They're going to be short. Because he's going to pick up the phone he's going to say, Dad, what is it? That's, he doesn't say hello. No, how are you? What's going on? No pleasantries. Dad, what is it? Hey, Coop, can you pick this up from the store? Yes. No goodbye. Phone, phone call over. It's just done. I respect that man. He's not playing. God's not playing either. When he talks to us, he's not going to fill it up with a bunch of poetry and fluff. He's going to leave that to us as humans. He's just going to tell us this is how it is. When he sends prophets in the Old Testament, here's how it is. When he, when he speaks, uh, you know, uh, throughout the stories of Scripture, here's how it is, man. This isn't right. It needs to change. You need to change it. Here's what's going to happen if you don't. Are you with me? It's kind of, that's how, uh, th- this is my plan for you. I love you. Here's, the, here's how I'm going to save you through my son and, and deal with it. He just, he says it. Now, his purpose is, uh, come, you know, and this is this clear communication, but his purposes are myriad. He, a lot of times uh, he, he comes with, with different messages for different situations. The three that we're going to cover today in the story of John the Baptist are these. Uh, preparation. Sometimes God speaks to you and I, and its purpose is to prepare us for what comes next. Who's ever been driving in, uh, in, in their car, and maybe you're not paying attention as well as you should be. I'm not that kind of driver at all. I'm very attentive. Uh, but maybe you're fiddling with the radio, or you're reaching, you know, I've never done this, but you're reaching for something in the back seat while you're on 60. Who's ever done this? Anybody ever done this? I need this right now. I have to have this right now. And so you reach in the back seat for something. And Eleanor or one of my kids will be like, Dad! And they'll, they'll, they'll get my attention because traffic has stopped in front of me. Okay? They are God's, uh, well, preparer of me uh, to avoid an accident. And a lot of times God speaks to you and I, to prepare us, maybe to avoid something that could come up in life, maybe to enter into something that he has designed for our lives. Uh, he, he speaks to us because he knows our future, and he, he wants to lead us into our, his best for our future. Uh, he wants to get us ready for what comes next. Uh, God also sends us messages of self-evaluation. He, he, he basically, uh, you know, Amazon.com's us a mirror, a spiritual one. He says, hey, take a look. What do you see? And he, he wants us to kind of slow down long enough in our lives to run a check. My son, uh, Ben, now drives back and forth to Jacksonville for college. Uh, he has a car that he's buying from us to do that. And, uh, but he's, he's, not, he's not car savvy. I'm not really either. That might surprise you. But, uh, uh, but, but I do know that if, if you don't treat your car right, your car's not going to treat you right. And I would rather that Ben does not find out that his car's not treating him right, you know, somewhere between here and Jacksonville. So when he comes home periodically from college, we take that sucker into the garage, we just put it up in the air, and we say, all right, listen, man, uh, we're the dummies, which is always a dangerous thing. But uh, could you tell us what needs to be done? And that's what they do. Tires, da, 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 and we get it ready for, for, to be road. Are you with me? Every once in a while, we need to do that in our lives spiritually. Pull this thing into the garage, pop this thing up in the air, and take a look. What's going on? Because I don't know about you. I mean, I've been a Christian for a while. I know many of you have. It, it can just kind of get like you're doing days. You're just kind of waking up and you're doing this. doing, And then that's fine. I mean, I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm, I'm trusting that you're moral people and you're honoring God for the most part with your life. But everybody knows that who we are now is not who God desires us to be. Like, has anybody here arrived? Anybody here perfect? If you are, I'd love to talk to you. I'll be in the corner after. And uh, you can explain to me what that's like. But, uh, but I know I'm not. 
And, and, and while I don't think that God is, you know, up in heaven with this, you know, the spiritual whip just trying to flog us into, you know, some, you know, box that he wants us to fit into. He's, he's a gracious and loving God. Loves us anyway, God. Isn't that, isn't that great about the love of God? He loves us anyway. But sometimes we can be like, well, God loves me anyway, and we don't change. We don't try. We, we, don't, we don't seek to understand who he wants us to become, how he wants to improve us so that we can be used for his glory. And, and that's, that's, that's what God's all about. He's not, just so we know, you're going to hear this a couple times in the sermon today. God's not about you or me. Like, I get really nervous about the songs that talk about, uh, you know, there's a song that we sang a few years ago, uh, and he thought of me above all. Uh, like, he, he, took, he took the cross on himself, and he thought of me above all. I don't believe that. Like, I think he loves us, don't get me wrong. But, 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 but Christ's uh, existence does not revolve about around you or me. His existence revolves around the glory of his God, of his Father. And, and the most glorifying thing that Jesus could do was to sacrifice himself so that you and I could be reconnected to his Father, so that God gets the glory that he deserves. Not so that we can have what we have, but we think that we're the center of the universe. My mom used to say it all the time. You think you're the center of the universe, Mark? And I'm like, Mom, I'm in science class. I know I'm not, okay? But we as humans can think that we are. And we can think that God kind of revolves around us, and that's not the truth. It's not the truth. And so God, every once in a while, wants us to slow down and say, hey, wait a minute. Take a look. What do you, what do you see in the mirror? What needs to be conformed to, to the image of my son? What needs to change so that you can bring me the glory that you were meant when I created you to bring me? The other uh, thing that we're going to talk about today, one other way that God communicates, is he communicates messages of recalibration. We have a, a cockapoo barely a dog, our dog. He's, uh, uh, he's been with us for like 15, 14, 15 years. He's always been around. And he's gotten to the point where he's, he's pretty good. He'll stick around. He's not he used to bolt when he was a, you know, a younger dog. And, but he's, you know, we've trained him and he knows to stick around. Uh, but every once in a while, we, get, we live at this house now with this huge, beautiful backyard. And every once in a while, he'll just kind of disappear around the corner. Well, that's bad. Like our, our neighbors threw a turkey in the woods. And uh, so for a couple nights, you know, we couldn't find our dog. It's because he found, the, you know, he and the raccoons found the turkey. And, uh, you know, they were having a nice little snack every once in a while. And so uh, when that happens, uh, I just let him go. If it was up to me, I just, you know, let's see what happens. If he comes back, great. But if he doesn't, God's will. Right? There you go. And, uh, <laughs> but the rest of my family members are adamant that I don't do that. <laughs> and so I got to, what do I got to do? I got to go from wherever I'm perched, where I'm, you know, just passively watching him, you know, walk around and do his business. I got to go looking for him. And i got to get him back in the yard. Why? Because this is where he's safest, where I can see him. It's the design of where A.J. is supposed to be, the yard. When he gets outside of the yard, guess what? i got to go looking for that dog. And i got to kick him back into the yard. However you do it at your house is fine. But I, you know, I gently encourage him. And God does that with us. Who's ever been outside the yard? Anybody been outside the yard in a relationship with God? And he's like, hey, we hang out over here. Get back in there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know why God does that? Because God's perfect. He's righteous. His ways are right. Ours ways may not be. Our ways typically aren't. And so when we get off of his yard, not of his, out of his plan, he sends us messages. Hey, can we get back to what we're supposed to be doing? This is the original intent that I had for your life, to glorify me, to honor me, to live this way. It's right. Trust me. Stay here. And I don't know, you know how many times you, you've, I've done this a ton in life where I've gotten 
outside of the yard and God has to bring me back. We're going to say that today too. But God speaks, still does. I pray he speaks to you right now during this, uh, this message. And I pray he speaks to you the things that, that you're supposed to be doing in your life so that you can bring him the glory that he deserves from your life. I pray that for every morning. I pray that's what church is about for you and I, that we'd hear from God. Here's one more thing. The word of God must be heard and obeyed to make a difference in us. Everybody agree with that? Like, it's not just to hear, enough to hear things. We know this from just living in our houses. Like, like you know, spouses, you could tell your spouse, hey, could you do this for me? And you can even, you know, acknowledge that you heard them, agree to do that thing. If you don't do it, does it count? No, matter of fact, it usually makes things worse in my house. If you promise to do something, you know, let, let on that you heard and understood and then didn't do it, that's where the friction begins. Anybody with me on that? Now, now, when it comes to God speaking, he's speaking all the time. Some of us, we just tune him out. We get too busy. Uh, we, we enter into phases of life where we're in denial. We just think we're God and we don't need our, our, our real God. And so we can just not hear him at all. Bad. But there's most of us in here. We're hearing God. Hey, I'll listen to you, Mark. If you keep me awake for the next 40 minutes, I'm in. Let's do this. I'll listen to you. And I'll, I'll even try to hear what God is saying to my life, in my life. But, but I can't guarantee that from the time it takes me to get from my chair to my car, I can't guarantee that I'm going to remember it or, 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 or enter into a phase of commitment uh, strong enough that I'll actually do something about what I hear. But what does the Scripture say about that? Well, then don't bother hearing. I mean, not to that extent, but why bother? Why, why, listen, if you're not going to listen and do, what good is it to you? James talks about that. Be hearers. Don't just be hearers of the Word. Be hearers and doers of the Word. Take what God says and make it a reality by his grace in your life so that he gets the glory that he deserves from your existence. All right. I'm getting more fired up about this every time I preach it, so I'll try to keep my head on. But uh, I want to just kind of go through these, these next uh, few verses in Luke chapter 3 and talk about how these three ideas, preparation, self-evaluation, and recalibration, appear in the message of John. Because the word of God came to John in the wilderness and then he takes that word, that, that, that starter hike. It's like the football, you know. Quarterback says hike, the play starts, right? If you move before that, fellas, what is that? It's a penalty, right? If you're on the offensive side or the defensive side. Yeah. But God said hike in this whole thing with Jesus getting going, and John starts the message. And let's find out what he says. Verse 3 says this. Uh, we're going to talk through these three things. First one is preparation. Can you go back? Clear the path. Clear a path in your life for Jesus. As you start this new year, I want you to discern from God, as you listen to God, what are the areas in my life that, that you need access to so that you can be more prominent in, in my relationship with you. Here we go. Clear a path. And he went into the region around the Jordan. John did. And he proclaimed a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, a lot of times we hear the story of John the Baptist. His last name is Baptist. He's a, he's a dunker. Uh, but uh, we don't always equate or understand the significance of baptism at this time in Israel. Ba- Jews weren't baptized. Jews did a lot of cleansings and washings, ceremonial washings. But as far as, like, baptism as an identification with a movement or whatever, uh, that was their circumcision. When they were born, as, especially, you know, the, the men, uh, on the eighth day they were circumcised and they were identified with the, with the people of, of Israel, and, and that's all the identification that they need. They didn't need baptism. In fact, the only people who were baptized were Gentiles who wanted to become Jewish. They'd go through uh, uh, their own circumcision, and then they'd be baptized as well as a, as a sign that they were going to move into the Jewish faith. 
So John comes to a bunch of Jews in, in, in the wilderness of Israel, and he says, hey, guys, uh, we're going to flip the script a little bit. You need to be baptized. You need, to, you need to act as if you are Gentiles outside of the Jewish faith because the Jewish faith that you've been living is a little bit squonk, and we're going to hear that in Jesus' teachings. He says, you know, you've heard it said this, I say this. You're a little bit off. Let me bring you back, recalibrate you into what this is really being. And the way that he initiated that, John did, was through baptism. Prepare yourselves for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of this true faith that you're not experiencing now in your Judaism. Isn't that interesting? He says, it's, he did all this, it says, Luke tells us, in response or in, in accordance with what the prophet Isaiah had said about John hundreds of years previous to this. He says, it was written in the words of the prophet Isaiah uh, that the voice of one crying in the wilderness uh, would come. And he would say, prepare the way of the Lord. The Messiah is coming. Uh, make his paths, what? Straight. We're going to get into some construction words here. Follow me. Uh, he says, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, verse 6. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, if, if you're reading that with me uh, this morning, you, you're probably like, okay, a bunch of stuff about topography there, hills down, valleys up, straight ways, rough ways. Okay, but then you get to the end, you're like, okay, but everybody's going to see salvation. Thumbs up. The Messiah is coming. Salvation is going to come through Jesus. We know as Christians, as followers of Christ, that that was at the cross. And when when Jesus died and was rose from the grave, that's how salvation was imputed to us. It was through his righteousness, not ours. And so we all get that, right? Especially on this, you know, 2,000 years on this end of it, we can look back and see all that and be like, yeah. But what was all this stuff about values and mountains? What was all that? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. What is that? Well, they're, they're, uh, Isaiah was borrowing from a tradition uh, that was in his day and continued on even up until uh, more modern uh, eras of history, uh, that when a, a, a ruler, a, a, a conquering general came into town, the people of that town, of that city, would prepare his way for him. Like if you ever go to uh, Paris, there's this Arc de Triomphe in Paris. Anybody ever seen it in like World War II movies or something like that? Well, that, that was actually originally started uh, when Napoleon Bonaparte came back with his armies after conquering most of Europe. They made the, the Champs-de-Lysées, and I can't say it right, but it's French. Anyway, and, uh, and then the Arc de Triomphe, all those things were put in place as celebrating uh, his, his conquering. His, 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 so they made this huge way so that he and his armies could walk straight into Paris and be like, what's up? Who brought it? We did. Woo, woo. Right? That's, that's what they said in French. So, uh, <coughs> so this was a tradition. It's not unlike when you host the Olympics, is it? Like Boston's put in for the 2024 Olympics, and if Boston gets the 2024 Summer Olympics, there's going to be some construction up in Boston because you've got to get ready for something that, of that magnitude. So everybody understand where the, the, the imagery comes from? Now, so, so this whole thing, raise up the valleys because we've got to put a road there. Knock down the hills, we've got to put a road there. We're not going to have one of these quick, windy things. We want it to be a nice straight road so that as our Messiah comes in, as our, as our conquering and victorious leader, uh, we can celebrate him. It's, it's almost what happened uh, as, as you uh, reflect on uh, Palm Sunday. Remember Jesus gets on uh, the, the, this donkey, this baby donkey, and he comes into town. If you don't know that, that's what Jesus did uh, on, the, on, the, on the first day of his last week on, on earth uh, before he dies. And, and it's, it's, his, it's his triumphal entry, they call it. And, and so this harkens to all of that. Now, spiritually speaking, let's talk about that for a second. Spiritually speaking, what do all these words mean? Well, Spiritually speaking, if we're going to invite Jesus into our life in a, in a significant way, to where he has rule over us, then, then there's some topography, spiritually speaking, that has to change. 
Like, like how many of us, I've heard this from people all the time, and maybe you're not a believer yet, and this is one of the reasons you're not a believer. I'm too bad to be a believer. I got this huge valley in my life. It's this addiction, it's this previous experience, this previous relationship, it wasn't honoring God, there's no way he'll forgive it, and this is constantly going to be my albatross, it's going to keep me from ever experiencing the grace that God intends for me, and so I'm just staying over here in this, in this mess, this valley. And what does, what does this say? Hey, if you're, if you're going to prepare the way of the Lord, you've got to fill in that valley. With what? Your, your, your righteousness? No, with his grace. You've got to understand that he's, he's going to take care of this. Most of us don't experience that. If, if, we're, if we're far from God, either on this side of salvation or now, uh, you know, subsequently because we've, uh, you know, been saved by his grace, we've just kind of gotten sloppy thinking that we're all that in a bag of chips. Uh, we kind of find ourselves perched up on this mountain, and we're thinking, I don't need God because I kind of am God. What's up? And, and, uh, and what does God have to do in that situation? Well, he's got to bring us low. He's got to knock that sucker down, Right? Some of us, he's got to raise us up. Some of us, he's got to bring us low. Some of us, he's got to straighten us out. We've got some wrong thinking. Got to make crooked ways straight. Some of us, we have these rough edges. Anybody got rough edges? And these aren't like, like specifically, you know, blatant sinful patterns, but they're just kind of areas in our life that need to be improved. Like, did you know that it's, it's sometimes sinful to be busy? You might be busy doing good things. How about that? But your busyness is something that separates you from God and your connection with him. So those might be the rough edges that he wants to straighten out, whatever the case may be. I believe this year and every year and every day of your life that God wants to be prominent. He wants you to prepare away from him. What are the things as you head into 2015 that God wants you to prepare for? Some of you know uh, they're, they're on your horizon. Uh, you're going to go through difficult things uh, in the next few months. Because you got the diagnosis or you got the, uh, you know, you're signing, like Eleanor and I are signing papers Thursday to buy a house. Yay! I say that because it's a 1961 house that's never been updated. How's it going? Yay! No air conditioning, no well, no plumbing. Got a two dollar, okay, are you with me on this? It's a great deal. So Handy Mark. Yeah, no, I know, I know some guys. Anyway, uh. But it's, it's, it's going to be a challenging time. And do I expect God to teach us tons through this renovation? Oh, yeah, he already is. He already is. What, what is God preparing you for? What are the things that he wants to pull you out of? What are the things he wants to knock down in your life? These are the questions I want you to ask today. Because God's speaking to you. He's speaking to you words of preparation. He also speaks to us, not just to clear a path for him, but he speaks to us. And he asks us to be honest with the person in the mirror. That's that self-evaluation stuff. Look what it says. He says, he said, therefore, to the crowds that were coming out to listen to him, he says, uh, and be baptized, and he says, you brood of vipers. That's some seeker-sensitive preaching right there, right? You know, if you're not familiar with this whole term, seeker-sensitive, there's a whole movement, and, and our church is kind of born of that, that, you know, churches can sometimes seem irrelevant to the culture around them. So let's, let's hey, let's dress down. Let's, let's, let's just take out all the things, all the barriers that can make it hard for someone to come to church. And those, I'm not saying it's bad. I think it's good. I'm glad I get to wear jeans while I preach. It's awesome. But sometimes you can be so seeker-sensitive that you forget to put, you know, the, the gospel in there. You forget to tell people, this. listen, you've got to change. Now, John didn't have a problem with that. Uh, John was a wild man. Uh, big old Duck Dynasty beard wore a loincloth, like literally a Tarzan loincloth. And people were, a lot of them, I think, were just coming out for the spectacle. They're like, there's some crazy guy out in the woods, and he's preaching this alternative message. And, and let's just go take a peek. I don't know. It's kind of like the circus of the day. 
And they get out there, and he sees all the posers. Everybody's out there with all the other people who are legitimately seeking, you know, his message and wanting to change. And he sees all those posers. He's like, oh, you bunch of snakes. Now, uh, who are the snakes, or who was the snake in Scripture? Anybody remember? Yeah, Satan was a snake in Genesis chapter 3. So just in case you're kind of you're not, not picking up what John's putting down, he was calling everybody there uh, sons and daughters of Satan. Hey, what's up, Satan followers? Welcome to church. Is that how we should greet each other, you know, when we're out? If I see at the mall, hey, what's up, Satan follower, what's up? Should I do that, right? Yeah, but that's what he called him. He says this to him, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Uh, this, this, this is kind of from the image of, of a forest fire being set in the brush or, or a brush fire being set where the snakes have their dens or wherever they live. I don't know. I haven't followed them lately. Uh, but snakes, if, they, if they're feeling afraid, they'll just go to where their, their nests are, their protection is. But if, if it's on fire, well, they're leaving there. And so just like on Bambi, remember they set a forest fire in Bambi? Some of us don't remember that movie. Uh, but all the animals were running from the woods, not to the woods. The snakes were running from the fire. Why? Because these people were kind of getting the message and like, oh, man, the wrath of God is coming. The Messiah is coming to bring grace, but he's also coming to bring his wrath. And, and I might be subject to that. He says, look at you guys, you're just trying to save your own necks. You don't even understand my message. He goes on, he says in verse 8, he says, here's my message. All I want you to have is a true repentance. I want you to bear fruit. I want you to live a life that is born of or comes out of a true repentance, a true relationship with God, a recognition that you're, you're not up on this mountain, you're not all that, 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 that you're, you don't have it all together, that you need God and you need a Savior. I want you to live a life. That, that bears that out, that, that shows that you understand that, that you live humbly as a result of that. He, uh, he's, he's saying this to these Jews, and they, you can already start seeing them thinking their heads, well, what, doesn't he know we're sons of Abraham? He, he addresses that. He says, don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Now, now in, the Jewish, in the Jewish mindset, that's all you needed. As long as you were a descendant of Abraham, you were a chosen one of God. Read the Old Testament. That's, that's their whole thing. But John says, and listen, your Jewishness doesn't count for anything when it comes to true repentance. He says, listen, I, I, I tell you, God is able from these stones, and he points to the rocks that he's preaching on probably, to raise up more children of Abraham. Bill Cosby used to have this bit. He talked about his kids, and one of the things he'd say to his kids when he was disciplining was, listen, man, I'll take you out, make another one looks just like you. Remember he said that? I, I don't know if that's wise, and I know he's been in the news lately, but anyway. Uh, but that's essentially what God's saying. God is saying, listen, don't, don't get all high and mighty in your Jewishness. You're a Jew because I made you one. You don't get to pick where you're born. Anybody here wish they could pick where they were born? Some of you do. You don't get to pick where you were born. And so it's not about you and your greatness, uh, your Jewishness that, that draws you to me. I, I've, I've made that deal with Abraham, but don't, don't hold me to that. That's never what this has been about. He says, I'll take these rocks and make more Jews right now out of rocks. Don't need you guys. He goes on, he says this. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, the Jews are the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is a message of wrath. He says, hey, listen, if you're not calibrated to the plan that I have, if you're not in the righteousness that I have for you, if you don't respond to this, this Messiah who's coming, Jewish or not, the axe is at the root of the trees. If you cut, if you cut the roots out of a tree, is that thing going to die soon? Everybody understands that's where the water comes from. At least that's what I remember. Is that right? 
Yeah, if you yeah, cut the roots out, the tree can still stand. It can still look like it's a good tree, but it's going to die because the, 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 the axe has cut the roots. He says, listen, man, you still you can walk around. You can even go to the temple. You can do all the Jewish stuff you want. But, but if you don't have what this Messiah is bringing, it's, it's not going to be enough. He wants us to look in the mirror. He wants the Jews uh, to look in the mirror and, and to be able to ask themselves, am I really living the life that God has called me to? Am, am I living in accordance uh, w- with his plan? A lot of times, this is what we do, and I don't, I'll just be honest about me. Uh, a lot of times I look in the mirror, and I want to look at my best side. Does anybody get a good side? Anybody get a good side? This is my good side. Do you like it? It's pretty nice, right? Don't, don't take a picture of this side. That was bad. This side. You know what people do now? I'm going to talk about selfies in a second. But you know what the new selfie uh, pictures taking mode is? You, you take it from above. You know why? Because if you're chubby like me, you look skinnier. Your neck is thinner. Some of you are like, oh, good, I'm going to do that when I get home. Okay. <laughs> new, new Facebook photo. All right. Uh, <laughs> but people, when they put themselves out there, they want to put their best foot forward. Most of you didn't come to church today uh, cussing at the other people as you walked in. I, I pray no one did. If you did, let's talk about it. You know, we get some anger. We can work through it. But most of us come here, and we, we understand decorum, and we want to put the best foot forward. When someone asks us how we're doing, what do we say? Terrible. My husband is a jerk. My kids are impossible. Thank you for asking. Have a good day. Is that what we say? No, you come in, you come in, and it's all smiles, and hey, how you doing? God, is so good. Where just five minutes before, you may have been cussing at someone in traffic. You may have been yelling at your impossible kids. You may have been giving the cold shoulder to your husband who's a jerk. But we get out here, and we're like, hey, everything's great. Shiny, happy people. What's up? God bless you. And we can convince ourselves that that's who we really are. But what God wants from us is a deeper authenticity. He, he wants, listen, he can't really work with us if A, we're too distracted to see who we really are, or B, we're unwilling to see who we're in denial. We're in denial and won't see who we really are. But it's when we, when we finally come to the point where we're looking in that spiritual mirror and we say, all right, God, see if there be any wicked way in me. Identify it for me. Create in me a clean heart. Like, like David said when he was repenting in Psalm 51, create in me just renew me, wash me with hyssop, cleanse me, make me white as snow. Take who I am and make me who you want me to be. Everybody gets that, right, as a Christian? You're not trying to be a better you. You're trying to be a, a more like Jesus. We're not into self-improvement. We're into, uh, you know, self-debasement. Uh, we just want to get us out of there so that Christ can shine. And for that to happen, we have to be honest with who we are. The third thing that, that John teaches us, to be willing to change how you live. To be willing to change how you live. Not just to be a hearer of the word, to be a doer of the word. The crowd asked him, well, so what are we going to do? How, do? how do we live this out? I believe you, John. I, I've, been, I've been settling for a bunch of lies. I've been, I've been just kind of coasting along in my, in my Abraham descendancy. Well, what do I do? And John just gives him, this would be a great time for John to say, well, you know, Jesus will be here soon. Wait. No, he doesn't. He says, well, listen, in preparation for Jesus' arrival, Here's what I want you to start doing. I want you to start living out a true repentance, a repentance that is born of you understanding that you are not God and God is. 
that you need saving, and God is that Savior, that, that he is first, that others are second, and that you are somewhere down the line third. He's going to teach, teach servanthood. Look what he says. He answered this, well, listen, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food should do likewise. Be generous. Share. Take care of other people. They're God's created beings. Honor them. Bless them. Put yourself third. Next one. Some tax collectors come to him. Boo. Everybody say boo. Tax collectors were bad. They wore the black hats. They were complete rip-off artists. They had soldiers, who we're going to hear from next, who would come in and they would muscle up the people and they would sometimes tax, uh, you know, twice as much as the Romans required so that they could rip people off. The tax collectors were hearing this message and they said to John, what do we do? And John says to them, well, here's what you do. Collect no more than you are authorized to do so. Quit being a cheat. Quit being so focused on you and your advancement that you take advantage of and abuse those that you're over as a leader. Then the soldiers come up. The soldiers also asked him, hey, what should we do? And he said to them, listen, don't extort money from anyone by threats, physical, bully, or by false accusation, trumping up a bunch of charges so that they have to pay more in fines. He says, and listen, all of this is so that you can be content with what you have. Again, his point is, don't elevate yourself through your power as a soldier. Just be satisfied with what God has given you and do what is right. Now, this is huge. This is huge in the Christian life. If you want to understand how God wants you to recalibrate, I don't know your story. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I do know this, that God wants every human being in all of creation, all 7 billion plus of us, to know that he is God, to glorify him with his life, to put him first and to put others second and to keep ourselves back. In the photo, because here's what's happening: it's, it's, it's a revelation, or revelation, revolution. Uh, we'll, we'll go revolution. The selfie revolution. This generation, uh, you know, I'm not bagging on all you teenagers and stuff, but almost uh, all teenagers have no pictures that are that are without them in it. Because here's what we have now: we have cameras on our phones, and every time we want to take a picture, we can put ourselves in it now. Right? And so here we are at the Washington Monument, and here's our family at Christmas. And here's what happens. Your arm is this long. Usually the people that are, or the scene that you want to get is behind you. So what's most prominent in the picture? Your fat head, right? And spiritually speaking, this is perfect. Because spiritually speaking, we've been doing this since the Garden of Eden. In fact, that's what the goal, got the whole thing going. We took a selfie, a spiritual selfie. And Adam and Eve said, here I am in the garden. And there's God behind me. I'm first and foremost in my life. And here's everything that God intended for my life. Are you with me? And I can tell you this right now. If you don't hear anything else, nothing else resonates with you, God wants you to fade into the background of your life. He doesn't want you to be so obsessed with your advancement. He doesn't want you to be so obsessed with, with uh, you know, he wants you to trust him. He wants you to glorify him. That's why he made you. It's not so that you can have the perfect life. Don't believe what you read on the bookstore shelves, your perfect life now. Uh, hey, listen, I hope you have a happy life. I hope you have a God-honoring life. And I hope you have a life that puts God first. Because that's what matters most in life, that God gets the glory that he deserves. Not that you and I have everything that we want. Are you with me? The last thing I wanted to share with you is this, and this is what John finishes up with. Let's keep the main king the main king. Here's what he says. The people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts uh, concerning John, whether he was the Christ. He was speaking with such authority. He was, he was, he was, he was so powerful. I mean, he was, he was getting all these, 
these you know, descendants of Abraham to be baptized like Gentiles. Maybe this is the Christ. And John answered them and he said, listen, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I. He's coming. And the straps of his sandals, I'm not even worthy to untie. The, the, the lowest, one of the lowest tasks that a servant did uh, in his job, it was for the least of the servants in the house, was to come and wash the master's feet after he'd come in from the fields. Uh, you, would, you would sit down, uh, no, no plumbing back then. There was a good chance that your master had some of, you know, other people's matter on his feet. They were dirty, crusty. And so you would go in and you would take his sandals off and wash his feet. That's why when it came to the Last Supper, uh, no one wanted to wash the feet of all the other disciples because it was just the lowest of the low in the servant realm. All right? And what does John say? Well, everybody think of the worst thing that you could do as a servant. And I'm not even fit to do that for the one who comes after me. He's the king. He's so high above us. It's not like master-servant relationship. He's so high above us. There's not even a context for me to be in his presence, for you to include me in a conversation with him. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He goes on in verse 17. He says, uh, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he clears the threshing floor and uh, he will gather wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. If you're not familiar with with that whole harvesting image, they would gather their wheat after uh, the wheat had grown up, and they would take it uh, from the stalks, and it would just be the kernels, the the, the grains of wheat, and they would put all the kernels on on the floor, uh, and they would take a a fork, a pitchfork, but it had thicker tines, and they would take that fork, and they'd just dig it into the grain, and they'd just do this. Hour after hour, day after day, until uh, that process had taken all of that grain as it was kind of getting that thrashing and it separated the the kernel of the grain that you could grind into wheat from the husk of the grain, which was just, couldn't eat it. And, and, and eventually that husk would just kind of fly off into the, to the wind. They would have these huge doors in their barns, and the wind would blow through, and the husk would be blown out of the, of the grain pile, and the grain would be left, and that's what you would live with. Well, what's, the, what's the distinction he's making spiritually? He's like, hey, Jesus is coming, and he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to take those who are in true repentance, who are, who are bearing fruit, uh, marked, uh, marked by, by repentance. He's going to know who they are, and he's going to take those who aren't living that, and he's going to separate the two. Uh, the one will be uh, invited into his kingdom, the other will not, and it will be just good for burning, kindling. And he, he does that with every human being, those who receive Christ in true repentance, they receive heaven. Those who don't, uh, they receive hell. He does that with every one of our actions. Uh, he, he evaluates our actions, those that are good and, and just, uh, they, 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 they count to our credit and they honor him. And those that aren't, just kind of blow up, there's, there's nothing good that comes from them. Are you with me on this? Jesus has the fork, and he's a sifter. And John says he's mightier than I. Uh, as you start this new year, who's your king? Is it you? Are you keeping the main king the main king? Is there an area of your life, Seriously. Everybody close your eyes. Let's just do it this way. I want you to just have like, like 30 seconds, and I want you to ask God to lead you to the areas of your life uh, that, that he's not king of. And in those areas, I want you to ask him just in, in your own silence, just, God, would you prepare a way in that area of my life for you to enter in? Would you help me to see that area of my life with new eyes? Help me to evaluate that area of my life so that you can be the king of it. And then, God, would you help me by your grace to recalibrate my actions in that area of my life so that they line up with you being first, others being second, and me being third.
Just listen to God lead you to that thing and hear his plan for you as he prepares and recalibrates in your life. God, I trust that in the quiet of this moment, even in that, that, that brief time, uh, you were able to uh, help us to slow down and, uh, and to pause and, and to hear from you uh, the areas of life that need to come uh, you know, under submission to you. For, for some, it may be their entire life. They haven't made uh, a saving uh, faith decision yet. Uh, for them, I pray that this is the day of their spiritual rebirth. But for many of us, it could just be a, a, an area of life that we've uh, just wandered from the yard in. We're just not paying attention to you in this area, and, and you want to uh, help us in that so that we can become everything that you desire, desire us to be so that you get the glory you deserve. So, Lord, for whatever those areas are, I pray that you would lead us to the change um, that your voice is encouraging us in, that we wouldn't just hear your words, we wouldn't just hear your direction, but we do the things you direct us to do. God, make us more like your son Jesus and less like us. Uh, bring us as Christians into Christ-likeness. And use us for your glory, I pray, as you speak and as we listen and as we hear and do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. The church said, amen. If you're new, I'd love to say hi to you. Otherwise, have a great week. God bless you as you go.